Well, it seems markets are still trading on the hawkishness of central banks, particularly the Fed. Uh, we're seeing bond yields significantly higher, tech stocks weakening, commodities pushing higher. How far will this all go? Particularly when, you know, there's still a pandemic on, but we've got strong durable goods orders in the US overnight. Will we see stronger consumer confidence numbers later on today? And the ECB kicks off their central banking forum later on. If you like listening to the heads of central banks, this really is your week. It's Tuesday, the 28th of September, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has moved down and up, but the moves have sort of cancelled each other out. Uh, but the US dollar is up a quarter percent on the yen, but the pound is up 0.2% on the US dollar, and the Aussie is up 0.4% to 72.9 US cents, the Canadian dollar also up a quarter percent, so they all sort of level themselves out so that we've got a fairly flat US dollar at the end of the session. Uh, US equities are mixed. The Dow up a third of 1%. The Dan- uh, Nasdaq down 0.4%. The S&P down a little bit too. Bank stocks doing well. European stocks doing a little better. The DAX up 0.3%. The FTSE 100 up 0.2%. 10-year Treasury yields up another three basis points to 1.48%, the highest since early July. It actually got up to 1.51% at one stage. And UK 10-year gilts uh, also on the way up, up to 0.95%. They reached 0.98%, which is the highest since May 2019. And commodities on the rise as well. Brent crude, almost $80 a barrel now, rising 1.8% in this session. It got to 79.84. It momentarily got over $80 back in 2018. That's the last time it was in this territory. So uh, lots of notable moves and benchmarks being tested. Let's talk about all of this with Gavin Friend from NAB in London. So What's happening? I mean, the markets are still reacting to this uh, to this hawkish Fed from last week, aren't they? Uh, yeah, morning, Phil. Well, there's a lot going on, as you say, across markets. Um, lots of talk of inflation, lots of talk of return of the reflation trade. We know the inflation impulses uh, are with us, have been with us for a while. And as time goes on and we see, you know, one supply shortage after another hit various sectors, there's a grudging acceptance and, you know, also by policymakers that supply constraints and disruptions will be with us for some time. The latest focal point is energy. What started off as a more sort of local UK, European energy shortage two weeks ago is broadening out. China is now facing into its own energy issues, partly driven by demand as the economy opens up and partly by emissions targets from Beijing, which you know, doesn't want to rely on coal if it can't get sufficient, you know, nat gas and other forms of energy. It is also the case that um, these goods shortages, um, labour market shortages, energy shortages come at a time when some central banks uh, are starting to either lift rates. So as we saw in Norway last week, as we're likely to see in New Zealand next week, while others uh, are talking about it, such as the UK and as you say, the Fed you know they're not anywhere near uh, hiking rates yet, but um, they are on the cusp of announcing a pullback in in bond purchases. All of this is simultaneously driving yields up, curves steeper. You know energy prices are spiking, and in equities, it's leading to a rotation out of the sort of mega tech stocks. Uh, that have been the bulwark of driving these equity markets up recently into, or for many months now, into short-term cyclicals. So, you know, banks that do well with steeper curves, um, energy stocks, materials, industrials. The Russell 2000 in the US is once again outperforming the S&P, while the Nasdaq lags behind. Commodity prices 
are worth the mention. A Bloomberg commodity basket, you know, doesn't include iron ore, um, but it's at 2015 highs. WTI oil, $75, back to June, July highs, consistent with 2018 highs, passed here, and we're back to the 2013, 14 highs above $100. And Brent, because it's the UK and EU energy crisis, is rising even more aggressively. So this rotation away from uh, from tech stocks, I mean, p- presumably because there's just not the yield in them, uh, and you can get yields from other stocks or from, or from bonds. But I mean, isn't there a danger that as we start to see bond yield rise, that uh, just the whole of the equity markets, you know, you, you, people are going to be looking and saying, well, okay, how are their valuations actually sitting right now? Isn't that going to be a big question mark? Well, I think to your point, I mean, that's the reason tech stocks have done so well um, yes, it is. It is. They are richly valued. And that's why you get this sort of rotation into others which have been a bit more beaten up. And perhaps, you know, investors see they've got a bit more value in the environment that they see coming around, uh, you know, within, with, with uh, the sort of, you know, tied to the reflation trade, tied to higher inflation. So it is a rotation out of those that have done well uh, and a reflection, if you like, of, of, the, of, the, of PE ratios there. The other thing to mention is, 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 I mean, all the action really is in the bond market. You know, we've had this sudden jump in yields. A few hours, it's, it started a few hours after the Fed last week, to your point. You know, US 10s, they've been in this sort of 115, 120, 135 range for months. You know, they moved above 150 at one point on Monday. Inflation break-evens are moving higher. It, it's worth mentioning that in the US, break-evens are still very well anchored you know, 125, 145 in the US. In the UK, where the combination of energy price spike is, is, is really is really visible, you've got surging inflation and perhaps less credibility, um, you know, from the Bank of England in the market's view compared to the Fed, that they're on top of this. Um, you know, that's something that goes back, you know, many, many years. You've got 20-year break-evens in the UK at 3.8%. These are multi-decade yeah. highs. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Andrew Bailey today from the Bank of England was talking at the Society of Professional Economists in London. He seemed to have mixed messages, you know, for, for your thing about uh, your comment about credibility, because on the one side, he was suggesting that inflation uh, was going to be around for a while and that would strengthen the case to, to raise interest rates, you know, as we were saying last week, really, because, you know, what is the cause of that inflation? Uh, but then also said that there remain substantial uncertainties, which is fair enough, because clearly there is a lot of them in the UK right now. But then also suggesting that a rate rise next year is looking more likely. So uh, which way is he turning on all of this? Yeah, so that's right. So a speech on a speech on Monday he um, underpinned the view that if a policy response to higher inflation in the UK is necessary, um, it will come via interest rates rather than uh, via you know, reducing QE. But he also said that monetary policy will not increase the supply of semiconductor chips or the amount of wind. That's a reference to the lack of wind that we've had in the UK, part of the reason why we've got something of an energy crisis. Neither, he said, would it um, would higher rates produce more lorry drivers, strangely. Uh, a, reference, a reference to the fact that that's one of the big issues we've got here. Um, moreover, it, or a hike, could make matters worse via uh, weakening the recovery. So there you get the sort of reality check. He can see that this, you know, it, 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 a higher... A higher as we've talked about many times on this show, you've got supply issues. 
meeting that with higher interest rates will crimp demand further still. But why would it be any different in the United States? Because, okay, okay, it's not quite as bad over there, but they've still got, you know, high infection numbers there. They've still got uh, broken supply chains. Uh, So if we look at the durable goods orders, very good uh, for August, up 1.8% month on month, uh, which is uh, more than double the, the growth was expected. But unfulfilled orders were rising because they've got the same issue. They've got supply constraints, which is uh, which is slowing the recovery. So, uh, you know, and yet, OK, they're not talking about putting interest rates up in a hurry, but uh, they are talking about tightening policy. Yeah, but don't forget the Fed is buying 120 billion a month and the Fed realises that uh, when you've got demand outstripping supply, you don't need to be boosting that demand with 120 billion dollars a month of uh, asset purchases in the UK. They don't do that. They had a, a fixed amount of purchases in terms of their asset purchases, 890 uh, billion pounds worth. They're almost done on that now. So, you know, you could say, well, why not start unwinding it? I mean, they could do, but Governor Bailey has decided that a better, in his in his views, a better way of tackling this would be higher rates. Now, the, the argument goes, though, well, surely you should be looking through this. If you think this is going to be temporary, you you would look through it unless you thought that um, the higher prices are boosting inflation expectations, employees are going to their employers, requesting pay rises, and pay, pay settlements across the country were going up. Then you'd be more confident that you need, it's a spare capacity issue, that you would need to do something on rates. Arguably, that's not the case. You know, pay settlements in the UK are just above 2% uh, at the moment. So, you know, I think it, it plays to our view that we, I think we said last last week after the Bank of England meeting, the Bank of England needs to talk the talk, talk tough to try and get, regain credibility. Whether they actually follow through with it, you know, I mean, there's a lot of data coming out. You know, we've got the issue with the furlough scheme ending at the end of this month. There's a lot going on in terms of fiscal policy. It's a brave bank that decides to tighten fiscal, tighten monetary policy at the same time as fiscal policy and all the headwinds of this economy. So we, we guess that the market pricing in of a, of a rate hike next spring probably won't happen in the UK. Right. And I wonder whether some of it is, is just him, as you said, talking the talk because he doesn't want to see that uh, that wage inflation happening, which would cause a, you know, a spiral upwards. So what about commodity prices then? How far is that going to go? Because we know why it's happening. There's a shortage of uh, of supply or there's, or, or there's distribution shortages. Uh, I mean, oil is the, the, the highest it's been for a long time. Natural gas is in short supply. We know particularly in Britain and Europe, uh, the northern winter just uh, coming around the corner, isn't it? And uh, so prices aren't going to come crashing down in a hurry this is going to be like it is now for a while isn't it well that's the worry isn't it that it's that all of this is happening at a point where we're in the northern hemisphere we're not into the winter yet you know temperatures are very mild the, the view the view, the view is that um as the weather as the weather does start to get back worse in, indeed next week we're expecting more wind in the uk so you you hope that things are going to start at the same time as demand goes up supply also ought to be going up from various Avenues, but I think you're right. I mean, you know, you know, markets markets sense that this issue is going to be with us mm. for a few weeks, if not months, yet. And talking about shortages, there's a shortage of uh, central bank governors in the in the Fed because Robert Kaplan is leaving. So is Rosengren, two of the more hawkish members of the board, leaving for whatever reason uh, that might be. And uh, also today, Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen both talking later on before the Congress, aren't they, in the US? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the market is very interested in what's going on, as you say, with uh, Rosengren and Kaplan, um, both caught up in an ethics dispute 
um, for trading stocks. Um, you know, much discussion about that at the Fed last week. Rosengruen has retired early uh, or brought forward his retirement due to uh, health reasons. Um, and the, the market was then asked, uh, John Williams from the New York Fed, Lyle Brainard, uh, Governor Brainard, all also talking to, uh, on Monday, re- reiterating that we, we're, we're either at or getting close to the tapering point. No surprise there. I would just note that Brainard, for her thing, for her from her point of view, still thinks that employment is is a bit short of the mark that she would consider to be substantial further progress. And of course, reiterating the power line that none of this has any bearing on rate liftoff. I mean, these are comments that you'd expect from Lyle Brainard, but none. nonetheless important because she's her name is the name in the frame were uh, Jay Powell not to get the nod for um, you know Fed chair next time round right now in Australia so the AFR today got an interesting story with Josh Frydenberg giving uh, APRA the uh, regulation of Prudential Regulation Authority the go ahead to impose tighter controls on home lending because and this is a bit of a scary statistic I think the proportion of new loans that's six times greater than income has gone from 16% last year to 22% in uh, in the June quarter this year so I wonder if they find a way of stemming the growth in, ho- in house prices that removes one concern from the RBA, doesn't it, when it comes to timing of interest rate hikes? Because if they can manage to control it some other way, then they don't need to do it through interest rate hikes. But we'll, we'll see how. That, it's, that, that's a newspaper headline at this stage. It's going to take a while to unfold. But what we will see today is Aussie retail sales. We had that big fall in July, of course, didn't we? Yeah, we did, uh, down uh, 2.7%. Um, the consensus uh, for the numbers for August is down 2.5%. Um, and of course, that will reflect, um, you know, the uh, the extended lockdown. So, mm. um, lots of focus on that. Absolutely. And the ECB forum on central banking, which is normally held at Sintra in Portugal, but it's online again this year. Uh, that kicks off today. Christine Lagarde is going to be opening it up later on today. Uh, a good meaty agenda and lots of central bank speakers. As I said in the intro, if you like your central bank speakers, this is the week for you. But uh, that's it for now from you, uh, Gavin. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. Cheers, Phil. And we are no clearer on what's happening uh, in the Evergrande saga uh, and how that's going to be resolved or who's going to form the German government as well. Uh, so something else to watch today. That's it for me, though. I'm Phil Darby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.